We give you thanks that we have you to rely on. We give you thanks that we have you to find our way within. That you, as our crucified Lord, set us free to love you, to love our neighbor, and to know that no matter where we are in life's journey, we are never truly alone. And so God, we come to you now as your redeemed people, as your beloved children, but also as your people that still carry many burdens um, in this life. And we lift up all of those places where we are hurting, where we are in distress. Um, in particular, we lift up um, our dear brother, Harry Oliver, um, whose mother uh, passed away last evening. So God, uh, we pray for, for Harry and his whole family um, in this loss. And we pray for Jack Root, um, for uh, Jack's healing. Um, God, we pray that your hand may rest upon Jack, that he may be made well, that he may be made whole once again. We lift up um, our dear pastor, Emily, uh, who's been having really severe back uh, pain over the past couple days. It's why she is not uh, with us here this morning. So God, we pray that you may lay your hand upon her, that you may give her your comfort and strength. We lift up Stacy, uh, who was in a car wreck um, and is still uh, recovering and sorting through all of that. God, we pray that you may resolve all the issues. Um, but God, we also lift up those prayer requests, both spoken and unspoken, within our hearts this morning. God, we pray for your healing. God, we pray for your comfort. God, we pray for you to make ways where there seems to be no way. And God, we lift up those suffering in the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, particularly those who are sick and suffering with it. God, uh, we pray that you may drive the disease out of their bodies. We pray that they may be healed, that our world may be healed, that we may get back to fully living as you have called us to. But God, may we also never stop. May we never stop loving you. May we never stop loving our neighbor. May, may we never stop trying to tell the story that you have put within us. May we give all that we have to you for the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Now I invite uh, the children to come forward uh, for a message prepared just for them. I did. It was very sweet. Okay, so I, you don't have to say exactly what the thing was. But I just have a very simple question. Has your parents ever asked you to do something that you didn't understand why you had to do it? If your parents ever asked you to do something that you didn't want to do or didn't think you should have to do it, you just raise your hand. If your parents ever asked you, see, she's honest, right? I, he's honest. You know, we probably, there we go. The honesty is rolling in. Okay. Um, same question with your teachers. Have, have your teachers ever asked you to do something you didn't think you should have to do, you didn't want to do, or you didn't understand why you had to do it? Okay, yeah, again, <laughs> she is, you know, I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, often part of growing up is the adults in our lives tell us to do things that we don't understand or that we don't want to do. Um, but turns out, um, yep, it's true. Um, yet it turns out um, they've been in this world a little longer. Um, and so they have wisdom and, have, and see things that y'all don't yet see. And when you have your own children or when you have your own students or when you work with people way younger than you, you will understand that feeling. 
Well, God works that same way. God often asks us to do things that we don't always completely understand. But we have to trust God, that God is way smarter than any of us. God was smart enough that God created the whole universe, created the hairs in your head, the eyelashes on your eyebrow, all of the things in the world God created. We have to trust God that it's going to work out okay, even if we don't always understand the things God is asking us to do. Okay, will you pray with me? Take your hands like this. Put them in your hand like this. Put them in your lap. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you. You are so wise. You are so powerful. And you love us so much. Help us to trust you, even if we don't know why. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Good job, friends. I appreciate y'all's honesty. Y'all can go back to your seats. Okay. Like a selection uh, from a God's response to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or stretched out the line upon it. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings so that they may go and say, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the, inner, in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt, tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and clods together. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the ravens its prey when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? Say is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I grew up in suburban North Houston and I, I, because I grew up there, we got hit by a lot of tropical storms. Like, it was just an annual occurrence that something tropical was going to slam its way into Houston at some point in the season. You live that close to the Gulf, you are just going to get hit, like, once a year with something. Tropical depression, tropical wave, tropical storm, didn't matter. Something tropical was coming for you on essentially annual basis. It does get to the point where it kind of under you start to undervalue those storms because they happen to you regularly enough. It's like blizzards in Buffalo, New York, right? Buffalo, New York, it's two feet of snow. Nothing changes. We get two feet of snow. It is the snowpocalypse to end all snowpocalypses. We are, the water shuts down, the pipes freeze, and we all think we're going to die. And the city is like giving out bottled water like it's gold, right? 
But in Buffalo, New York, that is not what happens. But in Buffalo, New York, it's hit by a tropical storm. God help them. In Houston, we get hit by tropical storms. I once drove to school in one. The first day I drove myself to school, sophomore year, I drove through a tropical storm because they weren't going to cancel school because the power was still on. And so they just went, figure it out, kid. Into the storm you go. And I lived in a weird corner of Houston where it didn't flood. It's the only part of Houston that doesn't flood. Every other part of Houston floods. And so for us, like, the house never got damaged. It never flooded. When it was storming, we would go inside. It would be really wet for a while. The whole city would go a little bananas. And then a couple days later, it was fine. I underestimated and undervalued the true power of those storms. That is until I started doing the work um, of helping New Orleans recover from Hurricane Katrina. That was a real eye-opening experience for me. Because there, it wasn't just a little bit of flood damage that I was really used to, or a few downed power lines. Post-Katrina New Orleans, you saw whole houses that had been picked up by the storm surge that broke over the levees, moved hundreds of yards. I encountered a house cantilevered on the side of a hundred, I'm exaggerating the height, a you know, many, many dozen foot high levee that had been shifted four, I could look and see where its piers and beams were. They had been lifted up off the pier, of its piers and beams and smashed into the levee. That is not the house, but that is very much what that house looked like. Been moved by the power of that storm. I also did some work further along the Gulf Coast, and I'll never forget standing in a casino parking lot, um, and I think it was in Gulfport. Um, I was not there to gamble. The casinos weren't open yet. Uh, it was that early. I was a good Methodist kid. I was not there to gamble. Um, I was just there to absorb because there was a, there was a paddle boat, like a giant like paddle ship thing, just on its side in the parking lot. You could see the ocean. It was about 600 yards that way. And then here in his parking lot was a giant ship thing that did not, did not belong there. And they had not yet figured out how to get it out of there. Looking at what Hurricane Katrina did, I was struck with a deep terror of the power of the storm and how small I was in comparison to the power of this hurricane, and also how little control I had over that amount of power. This tremendous, earth-rending power that I had absolutely no control over. It's terrifying. That's the feeling, that feeling, whether you, for me it's hurricanes, whether you've ever been in an earthquake, whether you've just stood on the edge of a mountainside or a cliffside or the ocean and had that feeling, that terrifying feeling that here is this thing far larger than I am, that I have absolutely no control over, this powerful thing, that's what this scripture in Job 38 should inspire. That's the feeling the author of Job wants to seek into your soul when you think about and try to comprehend the power of God. It, this is what it means to fear the Lord. That here is this entity of unlimited power, 
and unlimited strength and unlimited ability. And you have absolutely no control over God's operation. That's the message here in Job 38, which is God bringing to a close the grand argument that is the back half, back half of the book of Job. Job and God are arguing. Actually, specifically, Job sues God, and God is responding to the lawsuit. In Job 29 through 31, Job lays out a very precise and very uh, detailed law, ancient lawsuit. There was, just like in modern days, all your lawsuits have to have the whereases and the therefores and the plaintiffs and the whatever, defendants and all. There was a similar format for ancient lawsuits. That's what Job 29 through 31 is. It's Job, hi God, I am suing you. This is not working. Here's my lawsuit. You must respond. And I'll, I'll, I'll read you. It goes on for three chapters and we want to get to lunch someday. Um, but I'm going to read you a brief selection from it. Uh, verses uh, 29 through 40 of chapter 31. If I have rejoiced at the ruin of those who hated me or exalted when evil overtook them, I have not let my mouth sin by asking for their lives the curse. If those of my tent ever said, oh, that we might, might be sated with his flesh. The stranger has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the travelers. If I have concealed my transgressions as others do by hiding, hiding my iniquity in my bosom because I stood in, in great fear of the multitude and the contempt of families terrified me so that I kept silent and did not go outdoors. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. This is the lawsuit part, right? Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me like a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. If my land has cried out against me and its furrows have wept together, if I have eaten its yield without payment and caused the death of its owners, let the thorns grow instead of wheat and the foul weeds instead of barley, the words of Job are ended. Okay, summary. And again, this is a short section, but summary. Job is basically going, someone tell me where this is my fault. Somebody show me what I've done wrong. Someone point to it. Show me. Okay. But I don't think I've done anything wrong. But show me. If someone can bring the case, show me what I did wrong. Show me why I'm being punished. I'll, I'll accept it, right? I got it. But as far as I'm concerned, I've done pretty well with this whole follow the law thing. By the way, Job is right. He's 100% followed the law. Job 1 and 2 that we read a couple weeks back literally sets up Job is a righteous man who did the righteous thing. Always, throughout this whole book, the message is, Job is righteous. And so he says, God, I'm suing you because I've done nothing wrong, yet I'm being obliterated. What's going on? God, answer me. Then this guy, Elihu, speaks up for like nine verses that we are definitely not going to read. And then you, or nine, or excuse me, eight chapters that we're definitely not going to read. And then you land on chapter eight. This is God responding to the lawsuit that Job has brought against him. 
And he opens with one of my favorite lines in the Bible, gird up your loins. Put on your big boy pants. Here we go. Buckle up, Job. It's going to be fun. Here comes the real stuff. And the real stuff essentially boils down to, I am God and you are not. I am God, then you are not. And he does it like a very good lawyer with rhetorical questions. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll reread verses four through seven because I just think it's an amazingly written piece of scripture uh, and a definitely a tactic you should use on children, grandchildren, students, anyone you want. This never-ending series of rhetorical questions of like, did you do that? Nope, didn't think so. Did you do that? Still no. Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Did you come up with physics, Job? Did you sit in a workshop and invent all of physics? No. Do you know what a galaxy even is? Didn't think so. Do you know how big they are? Do you know how many of them there are? Do you know how a star works? Still no, Job. Weird. That's weird. I do. I made them. It's a heck of an argument, right? <laughs> Hi, Job. I created everything on a scale you can't even imagine. My power runs so deep. You can't even fathom it. And then that goes on for several chapters. As everything does in Job. It's not a short book. But that's the answer. The whole answer is, I am God. My wisdom is far greater than yours. You're not going to get it all. Deal with it. The fundamental question of Job is why do bad things happen to good people? Job is a good man. Bad things happen to him that are, as everyone agrees, not his fault. He cries out to God for an answer. And God's answer is a brutal kind of comfort. It is my wisdom and ways are far greater than yours. You are not going to understand it all. You literally can't. You are a finite being. I am a being of infinite strength and wisdom. It isn't, God's answer isn't even, it's going to be okay. God doesn't even tell Job there was a purpose to it. We know there's a purpose to it, but that's because we read, we got to read chapters 1 and 2, and Job did not get to read chapters 1 and 2. And so we know this is about an argument between God uh, and Hasatan, but Job doesn't even get your suffering from as a purpose. God doesn't even sit at the funeral and look at Job and go, God has a plan for your life, which is not a good thing to say at funerals, but is at least true. God doesn't even do, tell Job that. God simply says, I set the universe into being. I have a bigger view of creation than you do. And you're either going to trust me with that or you're not. And in chapter 42, Job responds to God and basically says, you're right. 
God, I trust you. I don't understand it, but I trust you. And then Job gets blessed. And Job gets spoilers for the end of Job. It's written 3,000 years ago. If you haven't read it by now, you really should. Um, you get lost in the speeches, but the beginning and the end are real punchy. Um, when it's the argument between the friends, and then just skip the whole Alehu part. You can, you can skip 32 through uh, 37. Just, just throw that entirely out. Um, but spoilers for the end of Job. Job gets all his stuff back. He gets blessed double. But when he looks at God and says, I trust you, he doesn't know that's going to happen. He doesn't know that's, that's what's coming. It just, he trusts God, and eventually it works out for him. But when we talk about having faith like Job, this is something that gets thrown around a lot. When we talk about having faith like Job, faith like Job is not just faith that is long-suffering or faith that has made it through a lot. Faith like Job is faith that trusts God even when what's around happening around us is awful. Faith like Job is putting your faith in God's wisdom even when you don't understand what that wisdom is. What the wisdom, what the logic, what the divine structure that led to these events. Even when you don't know that. Have faith. And that is faith like Job. Because friends, frankly, we are not going to understand it all. We are not. We are not going to be able to put our hands and minds on the divine wisdom that led to or that led to a certain event or that led to God letting something terrible happen or whatever. We're just never going to wrap our minds around it. Because God is an infinite intelligence and we, though some of us are pretty darn smart, I like to think are never going to grasp it. That's another thing I learned while working Hurricane Katrina. I don't understand why Katrina happened. It was terrible. It killed thousands. Wrecked a whole city. We pulled bodies out from underneath houses. We had a code that we spray painted on the buildings based on what you found in that building. And a one in that column meant there was a body found there. Wrecked houses, destroyed lives. I don't understand it. I got a call this morning that my grandmother passed away. I don't fully understand that. What I really don't understand is like 10 years ago, she lost her mind to dementia. My other grandmother lost her mind to dementia. That means maybe my parents have a ticking time bomb in their brain, and maybe I have a double, double dose of a ticking time bomb in my brain. I don't get any of that. And I'm not gonna. But when we boil down to what is faith, Trusting God in the midst of that sits at the core of what true faith is. Faith is, in part, intellectually agreeing that there is a God that is a part of faith, but that is not the end of faith. Part of faith is feeling the joy of the Lord when life is going well, when you're on the mountaintops. That is a part of faith, but that is not all of faith. Part of faith is staying in the conversation even when things are terrible. That is a part of faith. But faith on its deepest level is trusting in God's wisdom even when you have no idea why. Why this happened, why this works, why these things are going on. That sits at the deep heart of faith. Think about what it means when you put your faith in somebody. 
That doesn't just mean you agree they exist. And then it, just, it doesn't just mean that you like them when things go well. It means you trust them implicitly, even when things look like they're not going right, or even when things look like they might not be trustworthy. Think about every movie where someone looks at them, looks at you and goes, do you trust me? That usually means some really untrustworthy stuff's about to happen, but it's going to work out okay anyways. The, our grand journey with God in the midst of dark times is God still holding out God's hand and saying, do you trust me? And faith involves grabbing hold even as you get pulled through the valley of the shadow of death. Look, I would love, not this isn't true. This is just factually inaccurate. But this is why I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be the pastor that has a Ferrari. And I'm never going to be the pastor with, I'm never going to be the pastor with perfect teeth, but that's on me. Um, and I'm never going to write a book about how Christianity is all sunshine and rainbows. Because that's not what the Bible says, friends. And so I can't, I can't sugarcoat this and say that only good things are going to happen to you. They're not, bad things are going to happen to you. They are not going to be, all going to be your fault. They're just not. True faith is trusting God anyways. Trusting that God's wisdom, that we're playing checkers and God is playing 4D chess. And we're not going to wrap our heads around it. We read the 23rd Psalm at funerals. And the Lord is your shepherd. And you shall not want. And God will lead you to lie down in green pastures. And God will anoint your head with oils. But to me, the most important line of that whole thing is, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and the staff, they come for me. Well, this doesn't imply you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You just happen to have a journey, a person journeying with you that can take care of you in the midst of it. But you are in the battle of the valley of the shadow of death. And when, you, when God prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, the high implication here is that you have enemies and you are face to face with them. It is our own human logic that thinks this is supposed to be an easy road. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does say that God is there with you in hard times, and that it never stops to be true. Never stops being true. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But sometimes things we don't understand and don't like and deeply hurt are going to happen to us. Faith in God is trusting in God's wisdom anyways and letting God's rod and staff comfort you, letting that meal be set before you, letting God's spirit carry you through. That is the essence of true faith. That is the faith of Job, trusting in God's wisdom that we cannot let us pray. Gracious living God, I give you thanks. I give you thanks that you are there for us in our darkest moments, in our hardest times, in the valley of the shadow of death, in the presence of our enemies, in the hospital rooms, in the terrible phone calls, in the deep tragedy. God, 
Help us to trust you when the trusting is hard. Help us to know that you are wise, even if we cannot see the wisdom. Help us to put true and actual faith in you, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of our souls, the spirit that moves within us. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Grab the hands of the people around you as we close this worship in song. And close this worship with a blessing, rather. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God's wisdom is vast. God's power is infinite. May we trust that even in the valley of the shadow of death. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.